And now we take you to Evangel Assembly of God in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Well, it's so good uh, to be able to share with you this morning. For those of you that are new here, my name is Ryan Kramer. I'm the administrative pastor here at Evangel, and today is Andrea and my last day. We're transitioning uh, to a new chapter in our life, to uh, the state of Washington, and uh, we just love Evangel so much, and I would encourage you to get plugged in here because this is just an incredible uh, church family, and I know that they would be a major, major blessing to you. You know, today uh, obviously is a little bittersweet for us as we've been able to to build all kinds of relationships and and get to know you, um, but it's also exciting that that we're kind of launching out and stepping out into unfamiliar territory and just following the direction of the Holy Spirit as He leads. And, you know, this uh, past week, as I've just been praying, just asking the Lord what I would share with my just last message with you guys, asking what would it be. You know, I, I, um, I heard someone say once that last words are for fools who haven't said enough. And so I'm hoping that that's not the case this morning, um, but uh, whether that's true or not, I know that there's something that I believe the Lord's laid on my heart that's just kind of burning in my heart that uh, I want to share with you, and it's my hope and my prayer that it sticks with you for a really, really long time. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning. We're thankful, God, for all that you've done in our life, and Lord, today we just pray we open our heart to your word and to what you want to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us this morning, speak to us, encourage us, Lord. Convict us in the areas that we need convicting because we know that ultimately your conviction is all about catapulting us to your purpose. And so, Father, we just open ourselves up to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 15. If you got a smartphone, you can pull that out, and, and uh, if you're like mine, it takes me like five minutes just to get to the Scripture, but you're welcome to, uh, to do that. If today uh, you don't have any of that, no worries. We've got uh, everything that you'll need up here on the screens, and this morning I want to talk to you for a little bit from the title, The Front Row Life, The Front Row Life, and as you came in, you received uh, one of these ticket things right here, and so... Hold on to that for the end of the message. You know, I thought with my last time here uh, speaking that uh, I needed to have something since that's something that I, I tend to do from time to time. So I wanted to, to leave you with something as we leave. You know, for, uh, for Andrew and I back in, in 2010, uh, I began to wrestle with some things in my heart and in my life. We were at a church in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I was just kind of sensing just some uneasiness in in my heart and my spirit. I was sensing or experiencing some some unfulfillment. You know, life just wasn't as exciting as as I you know expected or thought that it should be. And you know, I remember that uh, in 2010, that Thanksgiving, we took our family up to Tennessee to be with with my family, with my parents uh, for Thanksgiving. And so I remember being up there, and uh, we had just gotten done 
uh, eating a meal. And as we do with our family, they got this big old table. And so we just kind of sat around the table and just talk about life and talk about things that are going on. And I remember my dad beginning to share about the family business. And he began to share about how uh, he had developed or built that business with the desire and the dream one day that he'd be able to pass it off to one of his kids. And, you know, I've got uh, three other brothers and sisters, and so there's four of us. And, you know, life and, and time has gone by, and we're all have kind of done our own thing and gone our own direction. And he's, he's sharing around the table just about how, you know, that was part of his heart, but at this stage in everybody's life, there's nobody to pass off the family business to. And you've got to understand, my family, it was never any kind of guilt trip or anything like that. It was just my dad just sharing what was in his heart. And for me, I'm a firstborn, so there's obviously some some character traits and personality things that come with that. But for me, I was already in this season of just kind of wrestling with with my own life and what my purpose was and, and where I'd find fulfillment and happiness. And so... As my dad began to share that, there was something that really activated or, or connected within my spirit. And so for a time after that, uh, we, we left Tennessee, went back to Florida, and Andrea and I, you know, I shared with her just what, what was going on in my life and what I was sensing. And, and for years, you know, it would probably been 10 years or so, I had always had this dream to, to go to work with my dad. He and I are a lot alike. And so I just always thought that that would be something that would be a lot of fun, that would be able to accomplish a lot. You know, money never hurts. And so uh, that, that, was, that was part of the, the idea too. And, and so we just began to, to pray and ask the Lord about it and uh, prayed and fasted. You know, we did the whole fleece thing. I don't know if you've done that, but we've done that a few times where we just say, you know, God, I don't know what decision to make. So if you do this and this, I'm going to assume that means that, uh, that I'm in your will and that's the direction we should go. And so, uh, you know, we did, we did everything we can think of to try to figure out what it was that, that God was doing. And, and we began to feel some peace in that transition. And so, uh, so we left ministry. We stepped out of ministry at the church in St. Pete and relocated our family to, to Tennessee. And for me, it was like my dream was coming true. Something for 10 years I had had a dream to do, and now I'm beginning to step out into that dream. And um, I don't know about you, but I've noticed in my life that, that oftentimes uh, God will allow us to walk through seasons and difficulties uh, because he knows that ultimately it's going to help us to be able to see the big picture of what he's doing in our life. You know, it's not that everything is always his perfect will of how he maps it out, but he understands like somebody like me that can be so driven that if I get something in my heart, eventually he's just going to say, okay, I'm going to let him do that. So he can kind of figure out on the other side of it that, uh, I'm wanting to do something else through his life. And I think he does that for the hard headed ones. And I'm, I'm one of those. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, that, that's kind of what happened. We, we stepped up. We moved up to Tennessee. We were there for a couple uh, months, and I was just miserable. I was miserable. Everything that I thought that it would be ended up not being the case. You know, I thought that in my mind, 
You know, I knew my giftings, I knew my talents, I knew my dad's. I thought, man, this would be a perfect team to match up. In my mind, I figured it all out, and I thought it would be perfect, and I get up there, and it was quite the opposite. You know, I don't know about you, I I don't know if you've ever been in a a situation like that where you had a, a dream or kind of an idea of what life should be, and then you find out on the other side of that that it's quite different. Or maybe in your own life, you feel like there's something that's missing. You feel like there's something in your life today that's just a little out of place. Or maybe in your life, as you're beginning to kind of walk through and make decisions, you just feel like there's got to be more to life than what you're experiencing right now. And I think that God knew that we would walk through seasons like that. And so this morning, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 15, and I want to start in verse 29 as we talk about living in the front row. And I love this chapter in Matthew 15. I think it's such an incredible uh, passage of Scripture about Jesus and His disciples and with other people. And so look with me here in verse 29 of Matthew 15. It says, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others, and they laid them before Jesus. Now you got to understand here that in the Greek, this word laid doesn't mean like, hey, I'm just going to kind of casually lay somebody down at your feet. In the Greek, it actually means to throw. It's like a, it's more, um, Meaningful. It's more dramatic. It's more of, hey, I've got this person. I'm going to throw them at your feet, Jesus, and I want you to heal them. And when you look at Scripture, and you know what does Jesus do about it? It says right here at the end, He healed them all. And so look what happened. It says in verse 31, the crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were now talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking, and the blind could see again, and they praised the God of Israel. Now, I want us to slow this story down just a little bit so that we understand kind of the big picture and that we can experience what's happening. You know, here in a few verses, we discover that there's 4,000 men that's there. Scholars would say that when you begin to calculate the the women and children, you're looking at about 20,000 people that are along this uh, hillside or mountainside. Now, to put that into context, that's about two times as many people as can fit in the Tallahassee Civic Center. 20,000 people. And Scripture says that those who who couldn't speak, those who were coming that were, were unable to be able to speak, that Jesus heals them all and that here they're now speaking. That there were people who were crippled and lame. I mean, these are people who couldn't get to Jesus on their own. And people love them so much to carry them and to bring them to Jesus' feet. And Jesus heals them. There are people who couldn't see. So imagine that. There's people from all over who can't even see. And so they've got loved ones who are bringing them up to Jesus' feet. And he heals them all. And who knows how many people Jesus healed that day. But what we do know is that it happened for how, how long? Three days, 72 hours. 
Now that's a church service. 72 hours long. I mean, can you imagine the environment? I mean, picture it. Here you've got the mountainside and you've got Jesus and you've got these thousands of people and, and uh, everybody's bringing those that, that can't see and bringing those that can't really walk well and bringing those that, that can't talk and, and throwing them at Jesus' feet and Jesus is healing them and, and they're standing up and beginning to leap and get excited because now they're able to do things that they've never been able to do. I mean, can you imagine the excitement and the chaos that had to be happening in that environment when all that was taking place. And here people are are being carried to Jesus and now they're leaving Jesus' presence. They're walking, they're running, they're jumping, they're screaming, they're excited about all that God has done in their life. What an incredible moment on the side of a mountain. And the thing is, it doesn't stop there. We look here In verse 32, it says, then Jesus, so after all that, then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. Now, I know we've all got our, our translations that we like. I like New Living Translation. But in this scenario, in this passage of Scripture, the New Living Translation doesn't do what Jesus said justice, in my opinion. Because when you look at the New King James Version, what he says is, I have compassion on the multitude. So in the New Living Translation, it says, I feel sorry But more of what it is, is it's a compassion that Jesus has. And when you look at the Greek, compassion literally means that that Jesus was moved with compassion. It's like an action verb. It's like you feel this feeling of compassion, but you don't just stop there. I mean, I've been guilty of that where I've had compassion for people and what they've walked through, um, but I just stop there. I don't do anything about it. But what Jesus had is when he looked over the crowds of the people, he was moved with compassion, which meant that he felt sorry for the present situation that they were in, that they didn't have enough food. And he was so concerned that if they went home without enough food, that they might faint, that he was moved with that compassion to do something about it. And I think this is so cool because we get a picture, a snapshot of the nature of Jesus that as it relates to our life, that Jesus isn't just focused on the big things, right? He's not just focused on whether somebody's going to get healed and be able to see or somebody can, can, can walk now. I mean, those things Jesus is definitely focused on, but he's also focused on the little things in our life. I mean, here you've got people that he's healed. He, he, he spent three days healing people. But then right after that, he's concerned about whether or not they have enough food to eat. And I think what that means for us is that it, it helps us understand that God isn't just focused on the spiritual of our life, but he's also focused on the physical of our life. That there's nothing in Jesus as he looks at our life and And what we walk through and what we go through, there's nothing too big that he's not concerned about, and there's nothing too small that he's not concerned about. And I love that about Jesus. And so here we look at how the disciples respond to to Jesus' compassion. 
And, uh, you know, I think about the disciples. Here they are. They, they've been walking with Jesus. They've experienced uh, Jesus, the firsthand power that Jesus has had. And, and uh, I, I think that the disciples are, so, when I read it and I think of the disciples, they're so much like me. Because we can elevate the disciples of all oh, these guys like follow Jesus. They're like, they're like it, you know, they got their life all together. But these guys, man, they're characters. I mean, they are truly characters. And, uh, and you got to love them because look at, at verse 33. These are the guys that are, are traveling with Jesus. Their response to Jesus is this. Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a large crowd. Um, so much like us, right? I mean, how many times has God come through in your life and then, you know, a month later, two months later, you find yourself in a scenario and you're like thinking the whole world's going to collapse. And you're like, Jesus, where are you? You know, and he, he's just like showed you how much he loves you in the big things and the small things two months before. But now you're in another situation with little, little faith. And we see here with the disciples, I mean, a couple chapters before, they had already seen Jesus feed the 5,000. I mean, that to me, that's important to know because they've already seen it happen. It's not like this is something foreign or new to them. They've already been in a situation where Jesus has fed the multitude and multiplied what they had. And here they are in the very same situation again. And they're saying, where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a crowd? I mean, what are they saying? They're saying, we don't have any resources. They're saying, you know, there's no Publix down the road. We're in the middle of the wilderness here. Where are we going to feed 20,000 people? And the Bible goes on to say in, in verse 34 that Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? They replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. I don't know if you notice what the disciples did here. But they made their fish even smaller. Right? They didn't just say that they had a few fish. They said they had what? Small fish. And this is one of the things that I think that we can easily skip over when we're reading Scripture. You know, how many of us can say that when, when God challenges us or asks us to step out, how many times do we respond to him and say, you know, we can't do that, God. I can't do that. You know, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the talents. How could I ever make a difference in, in people's lives? I don't have anything to contribute. How can I possibly make a difference in my community? How could I lead a group? How could I serve on a team and make a difference around me? You know, I don't have the personality. I don't have the gifts or the talents. And, and we do that same thing. We take what we have and we make it itty bitty and tiny. We look at ourselves and we say that we're insignificant compared to other people. And this is exactly what the disciples are doing right here. They're doing the same thing. And, and watch what Jesus does. In verse 35, it says, So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Um, have, you, have you ever wondered like what he did or how he said that? You know, sometimes tones can come across different. And so that he said, you know, sit down on the ground, please. Thanks. 
Or did he say, sit down on the ground? Or, you know, I never know how, how, what kind of emotion he had. But, but he says Jesus told him the people to sit down on the ground. And then in verse 36, then he took the seven loaves and the fish. We'll get back to that part in just a minute. Thank God for them and broke them into pieces. He gave them to the, the uh, disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day in addition to all the women and the children. So there's four powerful truths that I want to share with you this morning about how God works in our life. And we'll go through these pretty quick. The first one is this. God isn't limited by your limitations. God isn't limited by your limitations. I mean, here we see the disciples and Jesus asked them a question and they look down at, at the food that they've got and they look up at the crowd that they see of 20,000, the sea of people, and then they look back down at what they've got and they think, no, I don't have enough. We don't have enough. But if you notice in verse 36, once the few small fish get into Jesus' hands, they're no longer small, are they? Jesus removes the adjective. And that's what we do in our life. We constantly put adjectives in front of the things that God has planted and the gifts and the talents in our life. And Jesus is constantly trying to pull the adjectives out. And I don't know what your adjective is, but we've all got them. We all say that we're not good enough, or we all say that we can't do this like the other person can, and we end up working ourselves down, but we've got to understand that God isn't limited by our limitations. The second thing is this, God will always give more through you than he'll give to you. God will always give more through you than he will to you. See, if the disciples would have kept their food, they had enough for them, right? They had enough that they could have, they could have had a little bit of food. Uh, they could have easily had the attitude of, I worked for this. This is my food. I'm the one that thought through to bring enough food to this three-day uh, revival service, and this food's for me. They could have held that close to themselves and decided not to share it. But if they had done that, then we know that thousands would have never eaten. And it wasn't until the disciples gave up what they had that God multiplied it and blew their minds. Number three, God will always give you more than you gave up. I love this one. God will always give you more than you gave up. The disciples started off with seven loaves and a few small fishes, and they ended up with seven large baskets of food after everybody ate all that they could eat. That's amazing. And because of their willingness to give up what they had, God used it to feed 20,000 people and then left the disciples with more than what they offered in the first place. God will always give you more than you gave up. Number four, your inability to comprehend doesn't limit God's ability to perform. Your inability to comprehend doesn't limit God's ability to perform. Disciples looked 
uh, down at what they had. They looked up at the 20,000 uh, people that were around them, and they said, there's no way. And I don't know, you know, you might be in a season like that yourself today where you just look at everything, the circumstances that are around you and, and what you're facing, the big decisions that you've got to make, and you're thinking, there's no way that this is going to work out for my good. But know that your inability to comprehend doesn't limit God's ability to perform in your life. And so you're probably thinking, what does this have to do with the front row life? And this is where, where I bring it together. It's this. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't feed the people himself? Have you ever wondered or thought, why didn't Jesus feed the people himself? I mean, in reality, Jesus could have easily just, just let him be full, right? I mean, he could have just, he could have been looking, he could have been on the si- uh, side of the hill, and, and to me, this would, would have been the coolest way to do it. Um, <laughs> But he would have been on the side of the hill and he'd be looking at the 20,000 and they're three days and everybody's tired and hungry and uh, they're walking around. They're just like miserable. Like I got to get me something to eat. And Jesus just says, be full. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I mean, could you see it? All of a sudden they're like, man, I'm like, whoa, what is that? That's, you know, that feels good. You know, he could have so done that, but he chose not to. He chose to involve the disciples. And uh, when you think of that, when you look at the disciples, he says, Jesus says to him, what do you have? And here's what I think Jesus is doing here is he's inviting the disciples to be a part of the process. He knows that if he goes up on the side of the mountain and he just says, be full, that they're not part of the process, that they don't get to experience the, the excitement and the energy and the, the multiplication of what God does through them because it's all done. Jesus does it all by himself. But instead, what Jesus is doing is he's inviting the disciples up close. He's, and he noticed that not only did, did he multiply the, the food that the disciples had, but the disciples are the ones that work their way through the crowd, right? And so he's bringing them up close. He's bringing them into the front row because he knows that it's in the front row that their lives are going to change. I want to invite Norm, if you wouldn't mind coming up. Have you, have you ever been to a sporting event where you were able to be at the front row or, or maybe had a chance to be pretty close to the front row? Uh, you know, Andrea and I, um, it's probably been three years or so, uh, we're given tickets to, she's a big Tar Heels fan. And so, uh, we made this pact when we got married that, that I could let her be a Tar Heels fan if it, if it stayed with basketball. Um, but outside of that, she's got to be a Florida State fan. And, um, she actually, when we first got married, had the audacity to wear a pair of gator shorts and I made her throw them away. <laughs> Um, like half of you just don't like me now Um, but you know we had a chance we were given some tickets to the FSU uh, uh, Carolina basketball game at the Civic Center and uh, we didn't really know what the tickets were like we just knew we were given tickets and so we went to the game and we were super excited and 
I wore my Florida State shirt, and she wore her Tar Heel shirt, and and uh, we started walking into the Civic Center, and uh, as we were following the directions of the tickets, we just kept getting closer and closer and closer to the court, and so we finally found our tickets, and man, we were so close, it felt like the players were just enormous, I mean, so close you could pretty much, you know, smell the sweat, you know, and if you're an athlete, I mean, that just really does something for you, you know, smelling, and, uh, and so we just had the, gre- the, the best time at this basketball game. And I, I just remember, like, the food and the drinks, they were just an afterthought. I mean, we, we got some, but it, we were so focused and so dialed in at what was happening on the court that, that the drinks and the food and all that stuff was just an afterthought. And then uh, the next year, uh, she asked, well, hey, can we go back to the game? And so this was the year that I had to look for tickets myself. And I realized how expensive they were. And uh, so the romantic in me decided that I'm going to get tickets, but I'm not paying that kind of money. And so we ended up in the nosebleed section. I don't know if you've been in the nosebleed section, but I got dizzy twice. And uh, the game took on a whole different feel because in the nosebleed, uh, for me, it was all about the drinks and the snacks because I was so far away from the game that it just didn't engage me. But in the front row, I didn't care anything about that stuff because the game was so engaging. And you know what the difference is between the front row and the nosebleed? The cost of the tickets. That's the big difference. It's the price that you're willing to pay. And it was that night that I realized that in order to have a a premium view that I had to pay a premium price. And I think for us, I think that can be true in our own life that we can go through life wanting to pay a cheap price but experience the premium view or the premium experience. It could be with our relationships or our marriage or our kids or uh, it could be with school and with our grades. There's so many different areas. But what the challenge is for us is that Uh, it's easier for us to say, well, I'm going to pay the cheap price, but I want the big experience. But in that game, I realized that in order to have the big experience, you've got to pay the big price. You know, for me, I wanted God's best for my life back when we moved to Tennessee, but I wanted to be the one that orchestrated it. I wanted his best, but I wanted to be the one that orchestrated it. And so I left the ministry and went into the family business. I lined up everything perfectly, our gifts and talents. I thought everything would blend and mesh well and that it would take off. But what seemed like a perfect fit for me was actually limiting God's best for my life. And I want you to write this statement down. This is what, this is the statement that I want to leave you with. Don't allow your life to be limited by your dreams. Don't allow your life to be limited by your dreams. And I think it's important that that sink in because what God has for you is beyond your ability to comprehend it. And so I'm all about dreams 
but don't let your life be limited by your dreams. For me, my dream was business, but the front row for me was ministry. And I don't know what your front row is. You know, what I love about the front row is that there's a lot of different seats and all the different seats have different views. And so what I love about that is it means that my front row can be different than your front row, but it doesn't mean that anyone is, is, is on a higher pedestal or level, that as long as we're on the front row together, then we're accomplishing all that God's called us to. And it's kind of like a puzzle. I don't know if you like to put puzzles together. I absolutely hate it. It's too slow for me. Um, but a puzzle, what do you have? You've got a box and you've got a picture and you've got all these these pieces and you begin to put the pieces together and uh, you start fitting little pieces on and, and a couple of the sides will work, but there's another side that doesn't fit right. And you just kind of have to kind of find that right fit. And it isn't until you get all the pieces together that you could back away and you can see what the designer had planned for it to work or to look like. And that's our life. And today you might be in a place where you're just kind of fitting your, 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 your life puzzle piece and it just doesn't seem like it keeps to be fitting in the right place. It looks like this might be good, but one of the sides is kind of uh, rough or in chaos and you're kind of working through that. And my challenge to you is uh, to live out or to understand these three scriptures. It's this, Proverbs sixteen twenty five that there is a path before each person that seems right but it ends in death. That means that for each one of us, we can rationalize our way through life, but anytime we do that, that it's going to lead us astray. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. In Matthew 10.39, If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. What are these verses saying? They're saying that if we try to live out our own life, if we try to to live life based on our dreams, then we'll miss it. Because God has a dream for our life, and it's beyond anything that we could ever comprehend. Listen, the tighter that you grip onto your life, the quicker you're going to lose it. The tighter that you squeeze it and you try to say, well, this is what I want to do and this is the direction that I want to go, the quicker you'll lose it. And when you came in, you received one of these tickets. And what this is, is just a reminder for you that God's inviting you to the front row. He's inviting you to live a life that he's called you to live, to live a life of purpose, to live a life of meaning. And this, what I would challenge you to do is just put it somewhere, just somewhere that you could see it periodically and remember that God is constantly inviting you to the front row. This is the last few things I want to say, that God sees in you more than you see in yourself, that you're one brave decision away from a new life, but you can't stay where you are and go with God at the same time. Let's pray. Father, we just, we love you today. And I thank you for this beautiful church family and the blessing that they've been to Andrea and myself and to our family.
And today I pray that they would have the courage and the boldness to step out of the nosebleed section and into the front row. That, Father, you've got a call, you've got a plan and a purpose for their life. That, God, we can rationalize things out. We can, we can dream of what they might look like based on what we see in ourselves. But ultimately, we know that you're not limited by our own limitations. And so, Father, I just pray over them today that they will never allow their lives to be limited by their dreams. And as Andrea and I begin a new chapter in our life, I pray that you will bless them and keep them. That you will make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. Give them peace all the days of their life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. Come on. Don't patty cake. Come on. Well, Ryan and Andrea certainly have been gifts to us, and we thank God for them. They've, they've served us with distinction and just done a fantastic job. Ryan is our administrative and media pastor and certainly Andrea uh, as our worship pastor the last several years and uh, we've got a little something that we want to give them today and guys we uh, we picked it out for you and we'd ask you to if you don't mind just reach in there and and pull it out and uh, you can show everybody what we've gotten you we want you to remember us and we want you to remember where you've come from and um Now, you know, sometimes we tend to forget, and so I, I don't want to see wa- these guys wearing Washington State Husky gear <laughs> next time that we see them, or, yeah, they even have the Oregon Ducks out there, and so, um, uh, no, we're really excited for them. Ryan and Andrea are becoming the senior pastors of Arlington Assembly of God, which is just north of Seattle, and uh, um, we're really happy for them. I believe that Judy Neal... Where are you, Judy? Right here. Judy's got a little something she's going to present to you right now, too, as well as Marlita. Thank you, Pastor. I'm going to try not to cry. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Eat the mic. This is from the choir and the band, and we just want to tell you how much we love you. I'm sorry. We love you. We love you. (laughs) I want to read this card to you. This is to you and your family, okay? This is from the choir and the band. The ministry of Christ in you. He is seen in the love expressed through your heart, the compassion revealed through your spirit, the kindness displayed through your actions, the blessings received through your life. Thank you for you making a difference in the way 
the ways that wonderfully put Christ on display. You are a blessing to us, and I'm sure I speak for the whole church family, too. You have been such a blessing to us. And we love y'all, and we're going to miss you, but we're going to be praying for you, and we wish y'all just everything. You're going to open up so many hearts, and God's going to bless y'all and bless your church, and it's going to grow, because we know that God is in control, and He is leading your steps. We love you. Amen. We're going to do a couple of things right now. Number one, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And as they come, I'm going to ask our deacons to join me up here. We're going to bless Ryan and Andrea with a love offering. They, uh, they actually don't become pastors in Seattle until the, uh, the 15th of, uh, this, of next, yeah, of this month of May. And, uh, so we're going to just, we want to bless them so that they've got the ability to take care of their needs, uh, these next couple of weeks. And if you're writing a check, you can make it payable to Evangel Assembly of God and we'll write one check to them. And, uh, as, as, as we worship with this offering, as soon as that's over, we're going to pray a prayer for Ryan and Andrea and bless them. Then we're going to have a massive, massive reception downstairs in the fellowship hall. I hope you'll all stay for that. Amen. Lord, we thank you that we can worship you with this offering. And we thank you for Ryan and Andrea and Jeremiah, Jordan and Journey. We thank you for what they've done for us, Lord God. And we bless them. And we thank you, God, for using them mightily to advance the kingdom of God in the Seattle area. And everybody says amen and amen. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7.00. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.